What is up, everybody? JT Sports here, back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing Deshaun Jackson's claims as being the best deep threat in NFL history, a better deep threat than Randy Moss. Will the New Orleans Saints offense regress this year without Sean Payton? My first year expectations for Nathaniel Hackett with the Denver Broncos. And can Sammy Watkins turn his career around with the Green Bay Packers? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. And lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. Now, a couple of days ago, Deshaun Jackson was on I Am Athlete. And for those of you guys who don't know what I Am Athlete is, it's a podcast that is hosted by Brandon Marshall. It's a very good podcast, one of the best podcasts out there, one of my favorite to listen to. If you haven't listened to it, go ahead and check it out. And basically, Deshaun Jackson was on there. They were talking about his NFL career, what's next for him, life after football. And they also asked him to kind of reflect on his career in a sense. And is he a Hall of Famer? And does he feel as if he's the greatest deep threat in NFL history. And of course, Deshaun Jackson said yes. Now, of course, a couple of people pushed back on this. Some people said, Randy Moss, you really feel you was better than Randy Moss, D-Jax? And he said yes. Now, I understand where Deshaun Jackson is coming from. Because you got to remember, this question wasn't who was the better wide receiver because we know who the better wide receiver was. It was Randy Moss. The question was who was the better deep threat, D-Jax or Randy Moss? And it's two ways that you can look at this argument, okay? Obviously, you can go off the physical attributes and then you have the statistics. Now, physically, you're going to go with Randy Moss, and so am I. Randy Moss, 6'4", 210 pounds, versus Deshaun Jackson was 5'9", 5'10", 170 pounds, maybe 180-something pounds at best. So, of course, we're going to go with Randy Moss. Randy Moss not only could beat you with his ability to dominate you one-on-one and win those 50-50 matchups downfield, but he also could blow past you with his speed. But for Deshaun Jackson, however, he wasn't as physically dominant as Randy Moss was. He had to do more with less in a sense. And really what made Deshaun Jackson such a elite deep threat was his speed. So for Deshaun Jackson, his argument was that, you know, Randy Moss, great and all, he could catch those jump balls, he could moss you, he could blow past you. But for me, I only could rely on pretty much my speed. So pretty much Deshaun Jackson was saying that he did more with less. And I understand that. The person who can make the most without being as gifted as others tends to be regarded as better in a sense because imagine if Deshaun Jackson was 6'4 210 pounds with his elite speed the argument probably could be a little bit different but if you're going to ask on somebody okay you have Randy Moss and Sean Jackson who you throwing a 50-yard bomb to you're going with Randy Moss but if we're going off statistics I think Deshaun Jackson has a very good argument for why he can be considered not only a better deep threat than Randy Moss, 
but the best deep threat in NFL history. Now, of course, many of you guys are going to say, JT, what about Jerry Rice? You're going to name other good deep threats as well. But if we're really going off the numbers, Deshaun Jackson has a really good case for why he can consider himself the greatest deep threat in NFL history. Think about this. Deshaun Jackson averaged 17.6 yards per reception in his career. Jerry Rice averaged 15.6. Deshaun Jackson also led the NFL in yards per reception multiple times throughout his career. 2010, 22.5 yards per reception, led the NFL. 2014, 20.9. 2016, 17.9. And 2018, 18.9. Deshaun Jackson is also number one in the NFL in all time and catches yards and touchdowns on throws of 20-plus yards or more. He also has the most 60-yard touchdowns in NFL history with 24. He's also second in NFL history in most 50-yard touchdowns. When you compare that to Jerry Rice, however, he's second in the NFL all-time in receiving touchdowns of 40-plus yards or more. The only wide receiver who has more than him is Jerry Rice with 54. And then you have Terrell Owens behind him. But if you're looking at who was the overall better deep threat statistically, I think that Deshaun Jackson has a really strong case for the claim of being the best deep threat in NFL history. And of course, some people are going to say Tyreek Hill and whatnot, but I feel Tyreek Hill was pretty good after the catch. I still would take, well, I don't know. It really depends. But me personally, I think Deshaun Jackson's claims of being the greatest deep threat of over of all time isn't something to be scuffed at. Because, of course, when he said this, I went immediately down to the comment section. I paused that episode of the podcast. I just wanted to see what people's thoughts on about those comments. And a lot of people said Deshaun Jackson was tripping. He wasn't better than Randy Moss. But I don't really think too many people were trying to hear out Deshaun Jackson's case. He wasn't saying that he was a better receiver than Randy Moss. He was saying that he was just a better deep threat. And the numbers kind of back that up. But as I mentioned earlier, it's two, it's two sides to this argument. Are you going to go with who you would prefer to throw the deep ball to physically by physical traits? Because if not, we're going with Randy Moss. Randy Moss, bigger, was pretty fast his own right. Maybe not as fast as Deshaun Jackson in the game speed, but Randy Moss could move for his size. And on top of that, he'd also dominate you physically. Deshaun Jackson really could just kill you with speed. However, if we're going by the numbers, the numbers show that Deshaun Jackson was a better deep threat than Randy Moss. And you can disagree with that all you want to, but the numbers are the numbers. And I'm not saying that I would take Randy Moss over Deshaun Jackson. I'm just saying that based off the statistics, Deshaun Jackson's claims aren't as crazy as how some people were making it out to be. But you guys let me know who you guys think was the better deep threat. Deshaun Jackson or Randy Moss? We already know physically it was Randy Moss, okay? However, based off the stats, Deshaun Jackson has a really good claim for that title. This offseason, we already know Sean Payton retired. And there has been many people that I have 
argued with going back and forth on how good the New Orleans Saints offense is going to be this year because many people think that this offense is going to regress without Sean Payton. And that's understandable. I can understand why people feel that way. The Sean, well, Sean Payton has been the architect of one of the greatest offenses in the league. He helped Drew Brees become one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. However, Pete Carmichael returns as offensive coordinator for New Orleans this year. And not too many people know who Pete Carmichael is unless you are a diehard Saints fan. So if you are somebody who doesn't pay that much attention to New Orleans and you don't really follow the organization, you probably don't know who Pete Carmichael is. But Pete Carmichael has been with the Saints organization ever since Sean Payton first arrived back in 2006. He became the Saints offensive coordinator in 2009. And he has called plays a couple of times for Sean Payton during his head coaching career with the Saints. His first time calling plays for New Orleans was back in 2011 when Sean Payton broke his leg and had to move to the booth. And after a couple of games, when he took over the play calling duties for New Orleans, they arguably had one of the greatest offenses in NFL history during that season when Pete Carmichael was the play caller during that span. Then in 2012, when he took over as the full-time play caller for the Saints, when Sean Payton was serving his suspension for Bounty Gate that year, they had the second best offense in the NFL in yards per game, and they had the number one passing attack in the NFL also being number one in passing yards per game. He also called plays a few more times throughout the years, off and on, and the offenses have performed pretty well under Pete Carmichael's play calling. So going into 2022, I'm not expecting this offense to regress at all. As a matter of fact, this offense should do nothing but improve because last year, the offense wasn't that great. And it wasn't because the play calling was bad. It was because simply for the fact that this was a offense that was devoid of talent at wide receiver. Your best wide receiver was who? Marquez Callaway, pretty much. And nothing against Marquez Callaway. I love Marquez Callaway. But... This year, you're going to have an improved group of wide receivers. Hopefully, Michael Thomas is going to be able to go this year. You also drafted Chris Olave. You have Adam Trotter, Matt tied in. You still have a really good offensive line, despite the fact that you lost left tackle Teron Armstead in free agency to the Miami Dolphins. It looks as if he's going to be getting replaced by rookie offensive tackle Trevor Penning. We don't know how good Trevor Penning is going to be. Saints fans are hoping that he ends up up being good but it's still to be decided however you have Jameis Winston coming back and I think too many people are selling my guy Jameis Winston short and yes I am a little bit biased you know I try to be unbiased as much as possible on this podcast but I feel I have a right to be biased sometimes and I'm not overly biased but I'm a little biased when it comes to Jameis Winston because he's my favorite NFL player of all time. And I'm not making that up to be a joke. If you guys think I'm playing, you can go check any of my social media pages and I can send you proof of Jameis Winston winning fantasy football championships for me. Jameis Winston has been my starting quarterback in fantasy football for over the last couple of seasons. I am a diehard Jameis Winston fan. And for Jameis Winston last year, 
I think too many people overlook how good he was during the few games that he played for the Saints last year. He had 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. He had the best touchdown to interception ratio in the NFL. Let's not also forget that Jameis Winston outplayed Aaron Rodgers week one of the NFL season last year. He also had led New Orleans to a win over the New England Patriots. So, for those of you guys out there who are doubting Jameis Winston, you shouldn't be doubting Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston is going the ball. I love Jameis Winston. This is somebody who works harder than almost any other quarterback in the league. I promise you that Jameis Winston isn't going to regress. If anything, he should do nothing but improve because he's going to have another year where he's going to get comfortable in this offense because Pete Carmichael isn't going to be switching anything up that much. It's pretty much going to be the same philosophy that he had with Sean Payton. Then, on top of that, you still have AK-41 in the backfield. This is going to be a really good offense this year. But I do understand why some people will have the thinking that this offense could regress because many people don't really look deep into the coaching staff. You just look at Sean Payton and he has been the face of this offense for many, many years. However, Pete Carmichael has had a couple of years when he has called the plays, and during those years, the offense has been really good. Now, you can say, well, JT, he had Drew Brees as his quarterback, so of course the offense is going to be really good. I can understand that. However, Pete Carmichael with Jameis Winston, I don't think the offense is going to regress at all. The offense should still be really good. Pete Carmichael is a really good offensive mind. It's the reason why Dennis Allen and the New Orleans Saints general manager decided to keep the majority of the coaching staff. For those of you guys who don't know this, but the Saints didn't really make too many changes on the staff because they wanted to have continuity. And continuity actually is a word. You can look it up. I can show you right now. So... By keeping the same coaching staff, there shouldn't really be too many adjustments. It pretty much should be everybody picking up from where they left off before Sean Payton retired. Only thing different is that Dennis Allen is now going to be the head coach, and you're probably going to have somebody else filling in the spot as DC, even though Dennis Allen probably is still going to be calling the plays. So this is the same coaching staff. Only difference is that you don't have Sean Payton roaming the sidelines anymore. You have Dennis Allen replacing him. And with this offense, I think this offense should end up being a top 10 offense this year. Could it be top 10 potentially? Yes, it could. But to say this offense is going to regress, I really can't see it. This is an offense that did nothing but get better. Their only loss was to Ron Armstead and Sean Payton. And there has been many seasons when Pete Carmichael has called plays or there have been several instances where he has called plays throughout the season for New Orleans in the past and the offense hasn't dropped in production ever. Okay, so I think that this Saints offense is going to be fine. At worst, it could be a top 15 unit, but with how bad the offense was last year, I don't think it can get any worse. You had backup quarterbacks coming in and out. You had Ian Book. You had Trevor Simeon throwing to arguably the worst receiving core in the league. I think this offense should be pretty fine. On top of that, the defense is going to be really good also. So for Jameis Winston, 
He has all the weapons at his disposal to be successful. And I don't think it's crazy to say that Jameis Winston could end up winning comeback player of the year. As a matter of fact, I was looking at the comeback player of the year odds. I think he's top three or top five. And and one of them, he was second only behind Derrick Henry in that award discussion. So for Jameis Winston, I have a lot of confidence in him. That's really how it's going to come down to. And if you say that Jameis Winston has something to prove, I can understand that. But for Jameis Winston... This isn't the same quarterback that you saw with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a Jameis Winston that's smarter with the football, is way better at reading the field. You also have somebody who knows when to take risk. Jameis Winston is a gunslinger. That's never going to change. He's going to have some throws that are going to scare you, that you're probably going to close your eyes and then peek and say, Thank God. And then you're going to have some throws that Jameis Winston makes that you're going to close your eyes. And then you're going to look. And then you're going to see the defense running the other way with the football. That's just the kind of quarterback that Jameis Winston is. He is a gunslinger. He is somebody who's going to take risks. The key for Jameis Winston is being able to decide when and when not to take those risks. And he definitely got way better with doing that last season. And with the improved wide receiving core... I think he should only get better because not too many talk not too many talk about this, but Jameis Winston has elevated every single wide receiver he's played with. Think about it. And we're not just talking about the Mike Evans and the Chris Godwins of the world. If you go back to his last season with the Tim Bay Buccaneers, guess who ended up being the leading receiver to end up the season when Mike Evans and Godwin were dealing with injuries? It was Brashad Perryman. And Bashar Perryman had the best season of his NFL career with Jameis Winston at the helm at quarterback. I'm just saying, go to last season. Jameis Winston was making the most with guys such as Deontay Harris and Marquez Callaway. And I don't even think that those receivers last year would even be good enough to start on the majority of NFL rosters outside of Marquez Callaway. I think he could end up being a good wide receiver for a good third option in your offense. So for Jameis Winston to be able to have the success that he did with those weapons, I have no reason to believe why he can't do the same. And some people say that, well, JT, Sean Payton was playing things safe with Jameis Winston. I don't really think he was playing things safe because he didn't trust Jameis Winston. He was playing things safe simply for the fact that he knew that he didn't have wide receivers who could consistently win on the outside. So if you have one of the worst receiving cores in the league, why are you going to try to throw the ball 40 yards? Why are you going to try to throw the football 40 times a game? Why are you going to try to continue to take shots downfield if your wide receivers can't consistently create separation and struggle getting off the line? You get what I'm saying? We got we got to think about this. If you have the worst receiving core in the league, why are you going to throw the ball more? Wouldn't it make more sense to, you know, throw it less and run the football more and only throwing you have to? Some people, common sense people, they call it common sense, but not everybody has it. It's crazy, but... Let me know how you guys feel about the New Orleans Saints offense going into the upcoming 2022 NFL season. Do you think that this offense will regress without Sean Payton? Let me know down in the comment section below if you are watching this on YouTube. Nathaniel Hackett was hired as the new head coach for the Denver Broncos a couple of months ago and replaced a Vic Vangio. He's an offensive-minded coach. He spent time as the offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Over the last couple of years, 
He is somebody who is regarded in high regards from players and coaches. Players love playing for him. He had a really good relationship with Aaron Rodgers. When the Broncos first made this hire, many people thought that there's a high chance that Aaron Rodgers could get traded to Denver. But we saw how that went out, right? So then, what was the next best thing that the Broncos could do? You can't land Aaron Rodgers. Who else is out there? Well, you trade for Seattle Seahawks star quarterback Russell Wilson. And you pair him up with Nathaniel Hackett. And I'm really intrigued in seeing how this is going to work. Because my first year expectations for Nathaniel Hackett with the Denver Broncos, I'm expecting this team to make it to the postseason. However, I don't know if they're going to make as deep as a playoff run as what many people expect them to do. And I don't think that there's a guarantee that they're going to win this division over the Chiefs, Chargers. Because for Nathaniel Hackett, he has been a play caller before. He was the offensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars from 2016 to 2018. And his offenses weren't anything special, okay? His first season as the OC for Jacksonville, they were 25th in points per game. They were 22nd in yards per game. They were 19th in pass yards per game. And they were 23rd in rushing yards per game. 2017 was his best season. That's when the Jacksonville Jaguars ended up having that Cinderella run of a season. And they went all the way to the AFC Conference Championship game where they lost to the New England Patriots in controversial fashion. And during that year, they were six in passing yards per game, well, points per game, with 25.9. They were ninth in yards per game, 18th in pass yards per game. And they had the best rushing attack in the NFL that year. And then after 2017, things just fell off a cliff with the offense. They were last, well, one of the worst offenses in the league when it came to putting points up on the scoreboard. And they were near the bottom of the league in almost every statistical category outside of their run game, which was 20th, which was about average. And then he got fired after that. So for Nathaniel Hackett, some people are going to say, well, JT, he was with the Jaguars. He didn't have much to work with. He had Blake Bortles as his quarterback. Understandable. He's in a better situation with the Denver Broncos compared to the situation that he was in when he was calling plays with the Jaguars. And it's also worth noting that he is going to take control of play calling duties. He said that really early, as soon as he got hired, he said that he wants to have an aggressive offense and take shots downfield. And this kind of makes me a little bit skeptical about how far the Broncos can go with Hackett as their head coach, because One of the problems that I saw with Russell Wilson and Seattle over the last couple of years was the fact that he got too overly reliant on the deep ball. There was a reason why Seattle's third down offense wasn't that great. It was because Russell Wilson at times wouldn't take what the defense was giving him and he would try to force the football downfield at times. And Russell Wilson is one of the best deep ball throws that we have in the NFL. However... I feel as if he has gotten too overly reliant on it over the last couple of years. Then on top of that for Nathaniel Hackett, even though you can say he didn't have the most ideal situation in Jacksonville, a good play caller is able to elevate his players on offense. He He's also able to elevate his quarterback. 
For example, take Kyle Shanahan, right? Kyle Shanahan elevated Jimmy Garoppolo. He also elevated the backup quarterbacks that he had when Jimmy Garoppolo was out with injuries, such as Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard, okay, and also take Sean McVay, for example. He was able to win a game or two without Jared Goff a season ago. So the best play callers in the game are able to elevate their quarterbacks, okay? A good quarterback elevates their play caller. And if you have a great quarterback plus a great play caller, hmm, that equals phenomenal offense. Take Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. You see Andy Reid, in a sense, kind of elevated Alex Smith. But then he needed a quarterback who could do more. Which is why he went out and drafted Patrick Mahomes. And Kyle Shanahan on his on the podcast episode that he did with Sean McVay and Peter Schrager a year ago. You guys can go back and check it out. But he said that with him being the OC in Washington with his dad, he learned a lot. He learned that if you want to have longevity in this league, you got to have a lead quarterback. However, when you have a lead quarterback that can do more, it kind of takes some stress up off you as a play caller. And it allows you to have a little bit more creativity. So with Nathaniel Hackett, with him having Russell Wilson in comparison to Blake Bortles, he's going to have somebody who could take a bad play call and make it look good. However, I feel as if the best play callers are still able to elevate their quarterbacks, no matter how bad they are. So for Nathaniel Hackett, I question just how far Denver can actually go with him being their head coach, because I still have questions about how good he is as a play caller. He never played, he never called plays in Green Bay. All he really did with the Packers was help with the game plan and whatnot. And I do think that he's pretty okay when it comes to player development. I don't really know what to think of it because when you're calling, when you're helping with Aaron Rodgers and whatnot, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers can pretty much coach himself. Remember when Adam Gase was the OC for the Denver Broncos and then he became the head coach of the Miami Dolphins? Their offense wasn't really special. So you have to kind of have your eyes a little bit open when it comes to assessing how good guys are when they come from working with phenomenal quarterbacks. So for Nathaniel Hackett, I'm expecting the Denver Broncos to be able to make it to the playoffs. I think they should be around 10 wins this year. Worst case scenario, they win nine games, but I think At best, they could potentially win 12. But my overall prediction for Denver this year is 10 wins. And that's my expectations. Now, when it comes to them making a deep playoff run, I don't know. I really don't know because, you see, I still don't really know if he's as great as a play caller as what people think he is. As a matter of fact, nobody really talks about his play calling all that much. All we really just talk about is how good he is as a player's coach. And that is really big. But if you're going to be calling the plays, I got to judge you based off your previous body of work. So that's my first year expectations for Nathaniel Hackett. I'm not saying he's going to be a bad coach. I'm just saying that I kind of had questions on him when it comes to how far the Broncos can go in the postseason as him as the head coach and I have reservations about him as a play caller the offense is going to be solid however it may not be as good as what people think 
So let me know, am I tripping? Am I kind of looking a little bit too deep into it? Let me know. The last thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about why Sammy Watkins potentially could turn his career around with the Green Bay Packers. Sammy Watkins was a former number one, was a former first round pick a couple of years ago coming out of Clemson. He got drafted in the first round by the Bills and he had some really productive first couple of years with the Bills. And then he ended up getting traded to the LA Rams and then with the Rams, he was kind of good with a season and then he ended up signing with the Chiefs for the next couple of years. And he kind of gotten, you know, ghosted in a sense. A lot of people kind of forgot about him. But during his time with the Chiefs, he was a really, really good wide receiver three. As a matter of fact, he probably was the best wide receiver three in the league. And many people forget just how good Sammy Watkins was when he was with the Kansas City Chiefs. In 2018 against the Denver Broncos, he had a eight reception performance for 107 yards, two touchdowns. He also was really big in an AFC championship game that year and their loss to the Patriots. He had four receptions for 114 receiving yards. 2019, week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars, he went off nine receptions for 198 receiving yards and had three touchdowns. He also had a really big role in the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl run during their playoff season. Well, during their playoff um, appearances in 2019 on the road to the Super Bowl, he had seven receptions, 114 yards and a touchdown against the Tennessee Titans in the AFC Championship game. And their win against the 49ers in the Super Bowl that year. Also, same playoff run. He had five receptions for 98 receiving yards. So when Sammy Watkins has been asked to step up during his career over the last couple of years, he's delivered. And last year with the Baltimore Ravens, he didn't really do all that much. He had two solid performances week one against the Raiders he caught four passes for 96 yards week three against Detroit he had four receptions for 68 receiving yards and then after that he kind of became ghosted out of the Ravens offense he also had a couple of injuries but you also got to remember that the quarterback position didn't really do him no favors because Lamar Jackson went down you had Tyler Huntley throwing passes Josh Johnson so for Matt LaFleur, he has been asked about Sammy Watkins, and he said a lot of good things about it. As a matter of fact, him and Watkins have history dating back to their time when they both were in L.A. LaFleur at the time, back in 2017, was the Rams' offensive coordinator, even though he didn't call the plays, but he still had a big role in terms of game plan and what the Rams were going to do on a week-to-week basis. And then you got to remember that was also when Sammy Watkins was in L.A. for that brief stint. So LaFleur has said a lot of good things about him. He said recently that he doesn't think that Sammy Watkins' game has fallen off. He just feels that he has suffered from a lack of opportunity. And he's going to have a big role in the Packers' offense this year. Now, I don't know if this is just coaches' talk, but... I really do believe that Matt LaFleur met every word that he said because I don't think that Matt LaFleur were bringing in Sammy Watkins and then knowing that they had a pretty good relationship with each other during their brief time in LA, he would just bring him in and not utilize him at all. And also look at 
the current wide receiver situation with the Green Bay Packers. Okay, now you did draft Christian Watson out of North Dakota State in this past year's NFL draft. You also do have Romeo Dubs, Jawan Winfrey, but Sammy Watkins has a really good chance to end up being one of the starting two outside wide receivers for Green Bay this year because Alan Lazard right now is holding out due to a contract dispute. He has yet to sign his one-year deal that comes from the Packers putting a second-round tender on him. And I don't really understand why Alan Lazard is holding out. doesn't really make too much sense. I don't think Green Bay is going to budge at all because, I mean... Yes, Alan Lazard had a really good season last year. He could end up breaking out with Devontae Adams getting traded. He's going to get more volume, more targets in the passing game. But you think Alan Lazard, instead of being worried about his contract, he will go out there and try to cement himself as legitimate number one wide receiver simply for the fact that he wants to have a better chemistry and a better connection with Aaron Rodgers, with him slated to be the presumed number one wide receiver this year for Green Bay, you think that he would be in minicamp trying to get those reps. But, you know, he's trying to get a new contract. And I don't even know how much Green Bay would pay him because, I mean, this is someone who hasn't really proven all that much. So I think that this is a good situation for Sammy Watkins to come in and really surprise people. And Sammy Watkins is still pretty young. He's 29 years old. He's not in your late 30s, anything like that. This is still somebody who has a pretty good amount left in the tank. And as I mentioned earlier, there has been several instances where Sammy Watkins has stepped up when he's needed to. So with him going to Green Bay of Aaron Rodgers, if he can get... Oh, if he can get 70, 80 targets, I think that Sammy Watkins could have a pretty productive season with the Green Bay Packers. And then on top of that, you're playing with the bad man Aaron Rodgers... I think that also benefits him as well. Even though he has played with some good quarterbacks, he has played with Lamar, he has played with Patrick Mahomes, but Aaron Rodgers is regarded as the best quarterback in the league. So with him playing with Aaron Rodgers, I really think that's going to help elevate him. And then him and LaFleur already have a little bit of similarity or familiarity with each other. So that's also going to vote well in his favor. So I think that Sammy Watkins has a really good case for why he could end up having a career resurgence in Green Bay this year. And even if Alan Lazard comes back and he does sign his one-year deal, I think that Sammy Watkins could outright beat him out. Because I think Sammy Watkins is a better wide receiver than Alan Lazard. And I think that there were a pretty good amount of Green Bay Packers fans who will agree with that assumption. The thing with Sammy Watkins isn't talent. The thing with him is, can you trust him to stay healthy? Because if he can stay healthy and he can get around seven, eight targets a game, I think you're going to end up having somebody who could end up having a really big role and a really big impact on this Green Bay offense when you're searching for questions of who's going to be that guy to help you replace Devontae Adams. And we already know that Christian Watson is probably going to be your wide receiver too, but your wide receiver one is still up for debate. You get what I'm saying? And also Christian Watson could be in that same discussion as well. But overall, when it comes to the discussion of who's going to be your two starting outside receivers, We already know Watson's going to be one, but who's going to be the second? Alan Lazard or Sammy Watkins? If I was a betting man, I would put my money down on Sammy Watkins. And if he can stay healthy throughout training camp and whatnot, 
I think that he's going to end up getting the nod there, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being Aaron Rodgers' most dependable target this year. He's a veteran wide receiver. He knows the game. He is somebody who has some familiarity with LaFleur and his system in a sense. So I don't think there's no reason for why Sammy Watkins shouldn't be able to turn his career around. And I was watching a segment on ESPN when they were talking about this, and somebody just viewed him as another guy in the receiver room. I kind of felt that was a little bit disrespectful to Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins just isn't a guy. This is somebody who has played his role pretty effectively in almost every single offense that he's been in with the Rams, the Bills. When the Bills needed him to be a number one wide receiver, he stepped up. The problem with the with him and the Bills was that he couldn't stay healthy. Not that he didn't have the talent when he was with the Rams alongside Brandon Cook. He played his role perfectly. He was their number two wide receiver. He went to Kansas City. I feel he played his role in Kansas City pretty well. He was their third best option in the passing game. And when he was targeted, he stepped up in big moments for Kansas City. And for the Ravens, you know, their quarterback position and their play there kind of held him back a little bit. So with him going to Green Bay... If Green Bay needs him to be their second option outside of Christian Watson in the passing game, or if they need Sammy Watkins to be their number one option in the passing game while they allow Christian Watson to develop, I think he's going to end up delivering. This is somebody who knows his role. You give him a role and he goes out there and he performs and gets it done at a very solid level, a really high level. So maybe I'm just being overly optimistic because I like Sammy Watkins as a player and a person. I would love to see him kind of have a late career resurgence. And I'm somebody who is a big fan of a great comeback story. And I think that Sammy Watkins could be one of the better comeback stories in the league this year if he's able to stay healthy and he gets the opportunity. If you're looking for a sleeper pick for fantasy football, somebody who you could get for cheap late in the draft when you're just trying to fill out your roster with somebody who may have a little bit of upside, I will look at drafting Sammy Watkins. You may not even have to draft him at all. You're probably going to be able to get him for free because not too many people are going to be looking at Sammy Watkins and the opportunity that he has with Green Bay. I think there's a lot of people out there who don't even know that Sammy Watkins right now is on the Green Bay Packers. There were already people who didn't even know he was playing for the Baltimore Ravens last year. So, Let me know what you guys think. I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Remember, you can get the podcast anywhere. Spotify Podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. And I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast.